What's up again to Rowdy Vegans live episode. We're out here at Rowdy Girl Sanctuary with Domino right there. <laughs> Dom, what's up? <laughs> All right. And uh, so right behind us is the pastures that are now flooded. We have just evacuated the 133 animals um, just a few days ago. They are all uh, went to the new location. But yeah, how does it feel being uh, evacuated? Well, not over, but at least evacuated. How does it feel? Well, uh, number one, I don't even know who the hell I am. Who are you? we? Who are we? Who are do, we? Do you know who we are? Hey, I, don't know. I gotta still have a sense of humor, right? We are the two, the two rowdy, yes, vegans. Obviously, Ever. two, two, two rowdy vegans, two, two, two rowdy vegans, two, two, two rowdy vegans, two, two, two rowdy vegans. Two, two rowdy vegans, one plus one equals two rowdy vegans. <laughs> oh, hey, I mean, you know, if uh, Ryuji, if you can come down here and hang with me the way you've done for the last, it's been over a week now, hasn't it? Yeah, something like that. I mean, you've been by my side just about the entire time documenting what we're doing, and uh, it's just been crazy. I told somebody today, I might have told you, I feel like my body has just been run over by a truck because for three days solid it was nothing but you know what do you call it fight or flight mm -hmm. it was just one thing after the other um, you know everything was all centered around getting the animals to safety and uh, doing it as quickly as possible so that no lives were lost here at the sanctuary because of flooding I mean my god it just was unbelievable the uh, you know, the, the folks that came together, the organization, mm -hmm. to get this job done. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty, yeah, I'm feeling really good about that, but there's a lot of feelings I'm having. Number one, I'm missing all the animals terribly. I miss all the sounds. Just yeah. You know, just listening yeah. to you earlier, put some uh, footage together. I was listening to, the, you know, chickens and the cows yeah. doing and, you know, the roosters and the ducks. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, you know, that's what I'm missing, you know, my babies. Yeah, it's you know? super weird. Like even for me, because coming here every time is just you walk around the yard and you hear chickens and well, you just hear them. They're just chilling, you know. They're just everywhere. And it's just like silent now. Um, yeah, except for the freaking free freaking freeway noise. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really I wanna I wanna talk about and ask you about this because this is something that was really fascinating. When we were evacuating, we had a lot of different people come together to make the evacuation happen. Right. People from different organizations, whether it be, um, you know, there was like animal investigation response, the, the Houston Humane Society, there were a couple of horse rescues that, that came to help. Yeah. And also, there were cowboys and ranchers. Yeah, there was. Which is very, um, which is very interesting. And uh, I met all of them. They're all incredible people. They're awesome. And uh, I wanted to talk about this because, like, you've talked about a lot, and we have a lot of footage on this as well, but, you know, oftentimes in our community, specifically, like, the animal rights or vegan community, people like cowboys or ranchers can be looked down upon, and we can see them as people who clearly don't like animals and because they're exploiting animals and all that. But I'm going to make an interesting claim here, or rather observation, and I want you to talk about this, which is that, you know, our lingo, what we say is, well, they're the ones who send animals to the sale barn. They send animals to slaughter. They ride horses. And because they're exploiting them, they can't love animals. Right. But what I've observed 
is that those people, specifically the ones who came, um, and a lot of ranchers, spe specifically ranchers, and this is not lumping everyone who's in animal agriculture together, which I think is important as well, but specifically ranchers, cowboys, I feel like, the, in one way, they're like the closest to us, but they're also the farthest. Mm -hmm. Because what I've noticed is that they know better than anyone, pretty much, how animals have feelings, how they suffer. I mean, now it is crazy. Like, I, I have heard multiple cattle ranchers talk about how sending their animals to a sale barn feels like you're murdering them and how they look back and, you know, I mean, I've heard this multiple times. I've heard mo and from different people who didn't necessarily talk about it beforehand. Another thing I've been hearing is, uh, you know, how Tommy used to tell you not to name the cows. Right. And someone commented on my post the other day literally saying, my uncle, when I was a kid, told me not to name our cows. Right. And I was like, this is a real thing. This is crazy because the people who are in it like that are like in some way the closest and they really care as well. Like the reason that they all came to help was to help save the animals. Yep. I remember when we were writing the newsletter, you said, you know, when we have a common goal of saving animals, then cowboys and ranchers and vegans can come together and make that goal happen, uh, which is exactly actually what happened. Um, so in some way, like, they're the closest because they do really love animals. Like, they, mm -hmm. at least they think they love animals. Um, and they know about animals. They understand animals better than me, better than a lot of people who might even be vegan, right? right? But on the other hand they're also very far from it because of how they are so ingrained in their culture and their tradition and um, their way of life. Um, you know, what we would call exploding animals is so inherent to what they do right. that it takes a lot to kind of break through that. So Zona, what was your two cents on that? Well, you know, Ryuji, what I know is that cattle ranchers are indeed the closest to uh, us and the farthest away. That couldn't be more perfectly stated because, you know, just like that song, you know, and you know me, I got a song for everything, right? So close, so close, and yet so far away or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you know, so close and yet so far away. Uh, you know, for them to actually admit uh, that not only, not only do the animals have feelings, uh, not only do they suffer, but for them to admit that they're wrong for taking them to the cell barn and putting them in the food chain uh, means uh, annihilation of self, okay? And so what I know because of my relationship to my husband, uh, being a native Texan, and I mean, I just know a lot of ranchers. I mean, I have a, a real dear friend, I mean, like a friend of mine that's like really close to me, that's yep. a rancher mm -hmm. and her husband. And, you know, these are folks that I, that I love, you know, and, but, you know, if I start talking too much about, you know, my point of view uh, around veganism, she'll say right quick, well, Renee, you know, I love you, but, you know, let's, you know, this is where we, you know, we differ. You know, I love animals, but this is where we differ. And see, there's this place that cattle ranchers and cowboys can't go. They can't open that door that opens up into that whole corridor of no return. Because if they open that door and actually go into that place where all they can do is come out on the other side vegan. Mm -hmm. If they go that door, then everything they know is over. Yep. I was talking about it with uh, Francis on the beam today. You know, mm -hmm. it was talking about that very thing. I mean, you know, ranchers, you know, you, you, you got to get them in their back door. 
when you go into their back door and then they start here they start seeing and experiencing and noticing things for themselves that's when you know they're able to go there they may slam it shut and run out but but now they know that door exists mm -hmm. now they know oh my god i went down a corridor and if i go back there i may slip and fall and never come back yeah you know that's what happened to me right yeah and, and i wanted to ask you about that because one of the things that you talk about that I think I'm finally really starting to wrap my mind around and really tr like starting to understand better is how you talk about your own struggle with this and how you saw cows being sent to the cell burner for four years before you became vegan yeah. and how it was a really difficult experience for you. I, and I think like the reason I'm finally starting to wrap my mind around it to give you context as to like what I'm asking is like f for me, right? Like I don't fully like I, I, ca I can't relate to that. Right. Because for me, when I first found out about it, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm vegan now. I didn't have this conflict because, I, maybe it's because I didn't feel that attached to my culture. Like, I don't really know what it is, but I didn't feel that struggle. And so when you say that, I don't really understand what it means. And so it makes it harder for me to understand what other ranchers or cowboys might be going through. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, here I am uh, in the heart of Texas, in the in the heart of cattle country right here. Uh, you know married to a rancher and now I'm bottle feeding calves uh, That I've named you know a rowdy girl, you know being you know the one that really turned me around uh, And here I am going down that corridor, you know slipping and sliding and uh, grasping to come back out and go be a rancher's wife You know, uh, I, I couldn't afford to slip down that corridor altogether. All I didn't even know I was I didn't even know I was transitioning to vegan see because uh, the animals uh, rowdy girl was my vegan advocate right I say that all the time and, and she was but she had her own way mm -hmm. of reaching me she reached me through my not even my heart through my soul through uh, my DNA uh, which was is born vegan she reached me in such a way where I could not deny it any longer and so you know, I was able to go to that place with her, experience the cows, experience the wonder of them all, you know, fantasize about, you know, like Alice in Wonderland. And then I was able to jump back up and go and act as if, uh, you know, being married to a rancher and living this life was normal. And it's, uh, it, it, um, it started tearing me apart. It started... You know, you can't live a double life for too long. You know, you may be able to live a double life for a little while. Where, you know, you know, that's what was going on with me. I was living a life where when I was feeding Rowdy Girl, I was seeing all the wonderful things about the animals. I, I saw that they loved each other. I wasn't even thinking about being vegan. I just saw that I started realizing that what we were doing was wrong. And I started trying to make sense of something you can't make sense of. You can't make sense of it. It's wrong. And so when you when I kept trying to make sense of it, I kept running into one dead end after another, literally a dead end after another. Every every time I tried to make sense of it, there was there was death, there was suffering, there was violence, there was hacked up bodies, there was blood everywhere, there was urine, there was feces, there was babies, you know, dying, struggling, there was mothers crying. There was there was no sense to be made out of this and I kept trying harder and harder and harder it's like I was just beating myself to death trying to find that opening to where I could finally say oh I see now I know and it's okay what I'm doing being married to a rancher what we're doing is right and I couldn't I couldn't get it oh so so you were trying to in a way like 
find a justification. Yes. As, and that was like your thought process. Exactly. And exactly. so, so what, what was that moment for you where you finally, you decided to change, not to justify it, but to not contribute to what you were against? Like, how, how, did, how did that happen? Well, and I, it happened as a result of, you know, me, you know, telling my husband, of course, you know, I, I didn't like the animals going to the cell barn. I didn't know why we were doing it. I kept wanting to, you know, not be in this business anymore. And this is what we were doing. And Tommy just said, you know, I had to suck it up. And, but I didn't want to be in this business. So he started trying to hide it from me because it was bothering me so much when he would send him to the cell barn. And, but he couldn't hide it. And so the more, the year after year, it took almost four years, but year after year, I uh, began to do more and more research. Uh, the light bulbs began to stay on longer. Uh, you know, I was, I was in darkness less and less with it all, but I wasn't vegan. And then finally, um, you know, it just started, I started stumbling on vegan, um, well, my husband was calling it propaganda at the time. So started, <laughs> <laughs> that is so crazy. Yeah, so I started stumbling on vegan propaganda, and, uh, and I started believing it. And I was like, this is true. This is just how I feel. And, mm. and I had no vegan friends, and right. so I stumbled on, I got on Facebook, and I looked up something, and I ended up on the Global Registry for vegans. Mm. And this is where I befriended a woman named Jeannie Westfall. Mm -hmm. And Jeannie Westfall and her husband Mario have been friends with me ever since the very beginning of time. They, She was my very first vegan friend. That's incredible. And she had over 20 years, uh, I started to say sober, she had 20 years, was <laughs> 20 years as a vegan. Yeah. And she was like a godsend to me. She would mm. talk to me on the phone, cry with me on the phone, thought we ought to interview her. That would be incredible. Yeah, we need to interview Jeannie. Jeannie is, she's been are you, here. Are you listening to this podcast, Jeannie, right now? Like, I just, I want to know. Jeannie, <laughs> are you listening to this podcast? We should say, let's send this to Jeannie. Or you We're going to send, send this it to, to Jeannie. Yeah. She's been here, the rowdy girl. Mm -hmm. that's, she, that's so crazy. She lives in Oregon. Wow. Uh, her and her husband have both yeah. been here. I think she's been here twice, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but anyway, it was Jeannie that started giving me, uh, a, like, uh, a backdrop right. for my feelings. I started really being able to verbalize them, share them, and next thing you know, it's like it's over. It's yeah, I I remember I, I heard a couple people talk about this recently. About it was um, Dr. Michael Greger and Colleen Patrick Gaudreau from uh, the Joyful Vegan. There, I heard them both talk about how the number one reason that people become vegan then stop becoming vegan is for social reasons more than anything else and how one of the needs we have as human beings is to feel like we belong. Right. And one of the things that's becoming clearer and clearer to me as well wow. is how a lot of people who see my content, the reason that it brings value to them and the reason they like it is actually because they have someone to relate to. Right. They're like, man, you're, you're expressing exactly how I feel. And I never really completely understood that, but it's making more and more sense to me now where I'm like, well, of course, if you live in a world where even for you, you actually see the horrible things, but then you live, you know, isolated from the vegan world, which is the case of like all the ranchers and, and cowboys who are here, like they, they don't have any vegan friends. No. Like it's not even a possibility for them. Like I remember, I think it was on, on the first or second episode of the podcast, you said like, man, like, you know, being vegan was like the antichrist. Like it wasn't even in your thought process. I think that's literally the words that you said, by the way, but you know, like you talked about how it wasn't even something that you could even think of. Yeah, I couldn't. And, you know, one thing that's becoming clearer and clearer to me, and I've seen this pattern where it's like, 
man, when people enter an environment where that possibility even becomes a thing, because it's like, at some point there's no possibility, and then there's the possibility, then you can move towards it, but I've seen it with, um, with you, with, with kind of like Genie, if, if you know, the way I understand it, like meeting Genie for you, was in essence like opening up the possibility of like wait a second like I could actually do that too yeah she opened up Pandora's box for right. sure she right. gave me every green light yeah and and she started recommending every documentary to me I knew nothing about cowspiracy I knew nothing about any yeah. you know none of them forks over knives mm -hmm. she started introducing me to all these these titles and started sending me uh, you know DVDs in yeah. the mail DVDs in the mail yeah that's incredible this is the best thing I ever heard in my life she <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> and so I started like totally uh, cramming that that down Tommy's throat and made yeah. him made him listen, you know. Yeah. And I did. I made him. I really did. I wouldn't. I wouldn't let him uh, off the hook. Yeah. I said if we're going to do this, I kept doing it like this. If we're going to do this, and we need to do it with our eyes wide open. Yeah. Let's watch this together. Let's watch it together. Mm -hmm. And we would watch it together. And more and more, he began to see that you know what we were doing was. You know, that there might be a glimmer of truth to it. Yeah. And even beyond that, like, Tommy... Because, like, when Tommy tells the story, I've just noticed that he always talks about how you had events here and then people would come in. He would always say, like, oh, and a lot of vegans started coming through and some pretty famous ones, too. And he talks about how Kip Anderson came, came out here. And then he talks about, like, the moment that, you know, it kind of clicked for him, at least in the way that I remember him telling the story, is, well, you know, follow your heart, brought in the cheese, and so delicious, brought in the ice cream. And I was like, man, I could do this. Yeah. And it's, it's so crazy, because it, it makes sense. It's a similar thing where it's like, those people and those products now created a possibility for him. Like, I, I saw that, too, with the trailers that we have, like, many episodes on them, uh, with them on this podcast, like right. the, you know, Veganite Cattle Ranchers versus Cattle Ranchers. I forgot what it called it exactly. Even at six parts, I should know this, but <laughs> the point is, like, Next you know, like the, the point is, it, it's like the fact that you were there allowed Richard to even go there. Yeah. Like he says in that conversation, like, man, like you brought things to the surface that they were kind of there, like subconsciously, but I, I never brought them up to the surface. And then you're walking the walk, like you said, all this, this crazy stuff. And the way that I experienced it was like your presence there and you sharing your story created that just that like not not that happening like it created that happening too but the possibility yeah. of that even happening like before that like there was not even a possibility of him even thinking about that right. and then by you being there like that did that and same thing with the Barrett's yeah. like the Barrett's that um, you know the, the chicken farmers in Arkansas that we also have a couple episodes with them um, I think we have three episodes with them in total actually and they in their story like they went to this this health thing like this retreat or whatever it is and that's when they met a lot of other people who were on the same path. Esseltons. Yeah. yeah, to health at the time. And then like that shifted them and then you know all this all this other stuff and now they're they know some people in the community, but they obviously know you, they know Sean, like they, you know. And um, I mean it's crazy, but what's the the reason I'm talking about this is, you know, as to give value, like how could people talk to farmers or even how can people go about you know, doing outreach or talking to people about veganism and animal rights. I just feel like the environment that people are in is, is so important. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, to me, I feel like if I were to ever talk to a farmer, me just having a conversation, like, I don't know how far I could get just having that conversation, but I would much rather have a conversation to try to get them in an environment yeah. where they could see 
an alternate possibility. Like, I want to try to get farmers to talk to you. Yeah. Because then you can share your story and they're like, wait a second, this is actually a possibility. Or, you know, that's why I'm so excited about I don't know if we can talk, the Rap Summit, I don't know, can we talk about it? Yeah, we can talk like, about it. It's going like, to happen. One of the things that you're planning is the Rap Summit, the Rancher Advocacy Program Summit, which is which is incredible, um, which is going to be a conference basically for, you know, the Rancher Advocacy Program, which is transitioning farmers and ranchers into plant-based businesses. And what I'm thinking is, man, like, if you're able to get like farmers and ranchers to this conference that would open up so much possibility for them like i remember richard trailer sitting and you asked him you're like well what if there was an alternative where you didn't have to do that and he said i quote i'd be all ears yeah he did which is crazy but like most I mean, people I, yeah. don't know that they don't they don't think there's an alternative. Uh, they don't even think about an alternative because why would you? Uh, you're an animal farmer. That's what you do. That's what your dad did, your grandpa did, your great-grandpa, your great-great-great. You know, it's like, you know, but but does that mean that, you know, you um, want to keep doing it if you know that there's an alternative? Mm-hmm. If you know there's an alternative, it's just like the Barretts. Um, you know, when we started talking to, to the Barretts, you know, Sean Munson introduced me to Jennifer and uh, they were at their wits end. Uh, they were about to lose the farm, lose everything. And I'm so grateful to Sean for making that introduction because you know, we were able to use our rancher advocacy program resources, all of our contacts, and we were able to turn that farm around with everybody involved. And mm-hmm. it's unbelievable that this farm right now, I'm watching the emails go through because Paul, our uh, project coordinator and board member of uh, rancher advocacy program, is helping me right now with making sure that the Barrett family farm is moving forward because I am so like out of sorts because of everything going on with this evacuation. I mean, we're post evacuation y'all. And, you know, and so I'm doing everything I can to just maintain, uh, you know, a keep the home fires burning here. Uh, and to help my husband keep, you know, get the home fires burning and start it (laughs) over there. And so uh, I saw, but I saw emails coming through today that, you know, it's just about this thing's almost sewed up, man. And when that happens, you know, we're getting ready to, uh, you know, that mushroom uh, consultant's getting ready to ramp up. And we're going to be growing some mushrooms in Arkansas from what used to be a chicken farm and a cattle ranch. I mean, that is freaking, when you think about it, I mean, I'm so in it. So, I mean, I I know, I I mean, I, I I see it happening, but the reality of it. The fact that it's really happened, and the fact that, you know, people are interested in this story all over yeah. the world. I, yeah. You know, people are, are, you know, contacting us about it. It's uh, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And that's going to even further show farmers and ranchers that it can be done. When you, when you have one like the Barrett's change and it becomes a success, then you really start laying groundwork. But the real work is going to begin, y'all. When we have to, because we've got to figure out how to uh, get more land. Anybody out there that has land resources, uh, that knows how to get land resources, that has, uh, you know, uh, knows how to get, uh, you know, what do you call it, easements, um, land trust, uh, or or whatever, just land resources. We've got to start uh, creating a new model of the sanctuary so that the animals will have a place to go. You know, that's one of the big problems to solve. And one of the things we'll be talking about at length at the summit, at the RAP Summit, which will most likely be next summer. We're doing it in conjunction with Seed the Commons. Uh, But anyway, that's one of the hot topics uh, that I really need to bring people to a Mm roundtable about. Because, 
you know, it's got to be a different way. You can't just put all these animals into a regular sanctuary and take care of them to, like you do in normal sanctuaries. You just can't do it. It's too many animals. Uh, I mean, right now we're using the land to confine all these animals in such close quarters and such confinement and it's so horrible what we're doing that when we start releasing them from confinement and giving them back to the land or giving the land back to them, uh, we've got to be able to do that by taking care of the land so that they can eat what they know how to eat, they can mm -hmm. forage, they can do what they do. Natural uh, wilding will occur, you know, but we have to do this. You know, in my mind, this is what we have to do. We can't sit around thinking of it any other way. We got to go back to rewilding in such a way where, you know, we're giving the animals and the land back to each other. It reminds me of something that Rodney said, um, Rodney Barrett, one of the chicken farmers. He was, um, you know, he said, man, like these animals didn't ask to be here. That's right. And he was like, I put them there. That's right. We're and responsible. So it's, it's my responsibility to make sure that they have a home and that they're okay and that they're taken care of. You got it. That's and why we're taking care of them. That's why we're using our resources to help them care for them cows. Yeah. Because because if a farmer like that contacts us, I can't say to them, well, go ahead and get send those 240 cows to slaughter and then contact yeah, me. Yeah, well, we just can't do I that. I can't do that. Ethically, I am bound uh, in my soul to, as a vegan, to if a farmer contacts me and they have animals on their property, we got to figure out how to save their lives. You know, uh, granted, if, if, you know, it may be a situation where we're going to put them on land and, you know, uh, you know, we can't, we can't have a perfect world here. You know, natural, natural predation is something that occurs. I mean, right there across the, the way, if you just look right over there in that big forest over there across the street, that's 5,000 acres over there. 5,000 acres of, of natural forest right across mm. the street from here. Natural predation occurs there. It's wild. You know, if you start putting animals back in the wild, uh, you know, and, and let that land go back to wild, natural predation is going to occur. But at least they're not in a slaughterhouse. At least they're not in confinement. They're living their life. They have every chance in the world. We're taking care of the land. I mean, we've got to start thinking like this. How else are we going to be able to stop breeding yep yep yeah how else i don't know anybody got a clue <laughs> you know anybody got a clue uh you know i i mean i'm happy to have this conversation with anybody i just I, I think about it and i think about it and i think about it and uh the more i think about it the more i see that we've got to uh we got to let go of the of the sanctuary sanctuary model we have right now which is you know caring for all these animals ourselves like with every ounce of, of our breath in us because we're not going to be able to care for thousands of animals on on a refuge. Right, yeah. We can't care for all those animals. Mm -hmm. We got to let them but we got to give them cause, and they don't need to be taken care of by humans. You know? That's the whole that's the whole thing. They don't need to be eaten by us. They don't need to be cared for by us. They we have bred them into existence in such a way where they where we force them to depend on us. And that's not natural. That would be like saying you and I need to depend on, you know, somebody to take care of us, to feed us, because we don't know how to, you know, make our own food. Those animals know how to eat. They know what to eat. We have messed them up, and we need to give them back the land and then just let things happen naturally. But we got to have enough land to do it. Yeah, so that's a big problem to solve, so if any of you <laughs> listening right now has any clue or has can offer any help, that would be 
of course greatly appreciated because hey. for the the rancher advocacy program is is crowdsourced and uh, you have a rancher advocacy coalition yep that uh that basically that people can join who have some type of value to offer to the program um so if you want to join that that would be incredible but uh, yeah this, this this whole land thing seems like a quite a quite a problem it is or quite a, problem. a quite an obstacle to overcome it's a real problem and uh we've we've got to we've got to get real people out there that care uh wanting to do something about it and helping yeah. us solve these problems because once these farmers stories that are transitioning start getting out into the world if other farmers hear their stories or when they do and they come to us and want to transition and they say yeah man i got a herd of a you know, over a thousand brangus, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with them cows? Put them in a, a sanctuary? No. <laughs> You're not. Yeah. But if you had 10,000 acres somewhere, which the land, our planet Earth is full of land. It's just being used wrong. And so if we would start using our mind to bring balance back to the land so that we could put these animals that are being rescued off these farms onto this land the natural the natural things will occur but at least they're out of confinement at least they're not being forced to breed they're doing things on their own you know and maybe we maybe we do uh you know sterilize them you know maybe we do that too i mean this is all stuff that we can talk about but if you got a thousand cows you know you're gonna yeah. you know that's another thing you got to think about yeah yeah and so now for um for this sanctuary that uh did, did you have anything to add <laughs> no or? i'm just I, I start thinking about this you know and it's that's why i want to have this summit because my brain can only do so much and i know i'm a pretty you know out there thinker but you know i need other mind great minds around me which is why mm -hmm. i love having you around Ryuji. you're a great mind to be so young and you you really help inspire me to uh, to really think out of the box uh, even more, which is scary. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but no, I was just sitting here thinking, man, you know, this is a big problem to solve. That's why we got to do this summit, you know, but I'm sitting here at, you know, Rowdy Girl Angleton, which I'm now calling Rowdy Girl River, uh, because, you know, we're actually sitting right now in what looked like a river yesterday. I mean, this whole area where we're sitting was covered in water. Uh, it was covered in water all the way up to that trailer. Uh, yesterday, the day before. So the water's receding and, you know, I just imagine all the ranchers out in this area that got covered up. I mean, there was people covered up. I was seeing images of people's horses all the way up to their bellies. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going off into this, I know, but uh, it's because I'm so I think I'm just so distraught about it all, you know, that I had to go through this again. But you know what? I went through this for a purpose, and you were here with me for a purpose. You know, we've documented a really big piece of history, I think, you know. And what do you, I want to know what you're going to do with this footage, Ryu. Did you talk to us? Yeah, so, you know, I was basically here and I recorded, I basically filmed the entire process of the evacuation, at least one side of it. Um, you know, the part here in Angleton where all these people came together and evacuated 133 animals in two days. <laughs> Two and a half, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, literally, I got by the, I got here, and <laughs> when I was coming here, I was like, man, like, I thought this was going to be, like, a five- or six-day operation, 
And I was like, man, I don't want to be like evacuating animals for like five days. Like that seems like that seems like a lot, you know. And then it was like just one one day went by, and then it was like, well, there were just like eleven cows and like the pigs, and it's gonna be done tomorrow. And I was like, what just happened? Like this is crazy. But yeah, so I, I filmed all that. I filmed some footage at the new at the new sanctuary. And uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting because I think like one thing I'm so excited about this podcast and the content we're doing is that we're documenting a lot of things that it's very difficult to have access to those things. Like you're not just going to stumble upon a lot of the conversations that are here. Um, like what was it? Who who was who was talk- you were talking to this morning? This morning, oh, uh, Francis with the baby. Right, so France, in Francis Belgium, was in Belgium, I think. Right, and she was telling us about how what's crazy when she listens to the podcast and <laughs> the conversations that happen between like you and ranchers. It's like, it's like the, you couldn't hear that anywhere else. Yeah. And uh, this is another thing that you can't really see anywhere else. I mean, like, where do you got like sanctuaries? Like, um, where do you have sanctuaries just like evacuating? Um, from a flood. I mean, I've never heard about that. I've never even heard of, of a sanctuary just moving somewhere. I've heard new sanctuaries opening, but I've never heard of anyone just moving and certainly like to this scale, right? And so we were able to document that and kind of film every step of the process. And uh, what I intend to do with it is, man, I don't know, I just want to figure out a way to share it in a, in a compelling way. Yeah, I think we do. Um, and yeah, especially this is the third evacuation. Yeah. You know, so, you know, for us to have gone through not one, but three evacuations uh, because of climate change because of you know what they're doing out here with uh, with the land I mean a lot of people are moving to Texas subdivisions are being created out of all these this land and you know uh, levees are being built I mean they're just redirecting the water and just dumping on people so you know it's uh, it's really sad to see but we've got you know three evacuations behind us so you know, I was telling you, and I really do believe that instead of looking at it like, you know, oh, poor me, you know, I'm such a victim, you know, I'm, oh, poor me, oh, this happened to me, how this happened to me again, oh, boy, I'm just all, you know, God just, you know, I mean, this just something, you know, going on bad, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just getting what I deserve and whatever, you know, you know what I look at it like, I'm like going, dang, man, God is preparing me for something, yeah. for me to be going through this. That means I get to serve in a big way others that are going to be going through similar situations in the very near future because this is not over. People are going to be evacuating, whether it be animals, whether it be people, whether it be domestics. You know, you know, floods are going to keep happening. Yeah. And so uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, you know, is talking about having a rapid response division. Yeah, and, and now that I think about it, I think it's so important spe- specifically because in when natural disasters occur, non-human animals are the first first ones to be left behind. I know it. They're just left there, especially if they're being used for some reason, like whether being used for food or, uh, you know, on a farm, for example, if it floods, then there's no financial incentive for a farmer to rescue those animals because they're insured, because they're property. Um, and so, you know, having people like us being there to be able to, to respond to situations like that, I think it's so important because... I mean, yeah, like even in the in the fires, like in um, in California, there yeah. were like fires, and it's like you hear about animals just being left behind all the time. Um, you know, they're the last ones that we care about, and like right. they're the most like helpless. It's crazy. Ah. It's crazy, you know. And uh, you know, I, it's so interesting because, she, like, when we were evacuating here, it's like literally it was the complete opposite. It was literally like, well, we got to do whatever it takes to get those animals out safely. Like that's the number one priority, and for everyone, like that that was what everyone was thinking about and it, what everyone was focused on. Um, which, I, which I thought was crazy, you know, really puts things in perspective. Like one thing 
for me, why I love hanging out at sanctuaries and why I love coming here and being around this, this type of thing is because it allows me to understand more perspectives. Like, I haven't really experienced that many animals being loaded up into trailers or, or things like that, right? I've seen many, I've seen thousands of animals go inside slaughterhouses in slaughter trucks. But for example, before I really came here and started hanging out with you and saw, you know, honey and ginger furs being loaded up with the trailers and then this, I never understood how just even the process of getting animals to get inside a trailer or to put them inside a crate, like, that's a very stressful... It's very stressful. It's, it's a very stressful event. Oh. I mean, which, which makes sense. Like, actually, if you just think about it, it's like, well, yeah, you're just kind of, you're home, you're just chilling at home, and then someone is all of a sudden shoving you into this vehicle that you, have, you don't know what's happening. Rounding you up, you know? It's, it's obviously a very stressful thing, but I just, I just never really thought about Especially that. Especially when it's done all at once. You yeah. know, it's different if you're just trying to, you know, get a few animals, you know, in a trailer because you want to take them to the vet or whatnot. It's not as, it's not as uh, urgent. But man, on this evacuation, the urgency is felt. These animals feel the urgency. They've been through two with us, many of them. And, you know, they knew what was up. And they were scared. They didn't want to leave, uh, you know, to have to be thrown into, you know, God, I'm so glad we didn't have to go to the fairgrounds again, you know, and have my animals scattered all over the place. I mean, that was that was a nightmare. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard right now. It's very hard. It's like I was saying yesterday, it's like being dropped off you know, on an island somewhere and, you know, because this place, nobody's lived out there for years. And so it's yeah. very grown up, you know, everything's grown up. It's Everything's very natural out there, a lot of wild hogs. And so, you know, we weren't ready for all of these animals. And so God must have thought we were or that we could get ready or that y'all was going to help because, by golly, it's kind of like when a baby's got to be born at nine months, that baby's coming. And it was... It was obvious that God had spoke, and y'all are getting the hell out of here. You know, it was that simple. That, and so I was like, "Well, we got to figure this out." So I just wanted to take a minute too to thank everybody for for all your uh, very generous donations uh, during this time. In fact, uh, you know, uh, you know, it ain't over. You know, we still need y'all. We need y'all. We're, we're we're bleeding money over here. But guess who donated today? Oh, who? The Save Movement. Oh wow. Yeah, you know what? You know, because remember we were given. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it was so weird. You know, we were, when we were loading up the pigs, we were loading up Penny, Gizmo, and Rue in these trailers. They weren't wanting to go. I started having these flashbacks, you know, of when of seeing all these pigs go on these trailers and, you know, doing, this, doing the vigils and giving the pigs water. And I was thinking, oh my God, my pigs, you know, are going to be going to the sanctuary, you know, two and a half hours, three hours, and all this. They're going to be so thirsty. And so I scrambled to find a bunch of water bottles and put water in them. And I started giving the pigs water, just like Anita has shown us how to do in the SAVE movement. And it just dawned on me that these pigs, you know, were, you know, going to a safe place. But, you know, they needed water too, obviously. And so I told the rancher and his son, the cowboys, I said, y'all got to promise me that you know, when y'all stop to fuel up, that you're going to give my baby some water because they're going to be thirsty. And, you know, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I said, I want you to send me a picture or a video. I want to see that y'all are giving these babies water. <laughs> <laughs> and so he did. He sent me a video and showed me giving the pigs, that he was giving the pigs water. Yeah. And this is the thing, like, he, and he, he did it because obviously, you know, he, he told you he would do it, but it's like, I mean, I don't know, like, it felt to me at least really like he did really care about all the animals, like... The act 
act of you know? doing that, you know, changed him. I tell you mm -hmm. what, the act of him actually, because he's because he's even hauled pigs to slaughterhouses before. Mm -hmm. But the act of him giving those pigs water, knowing they were going to a sanctuary, you know he was in that back door of his mind going down that corridor. He was sliding down that corridor giving that pig water, I promise you. Wow. That is that's so crazy. I know! Yeah. I know. Yeah. And so what's left now? Because I know that, you know, you went to the new property. And like you said, like, it's not over at all. Like, I clearly saw that yesterday. I was like, man, like, like you said, it's basically like no one's lived there for years. And it's, it's just like this land. And you got to figure out how to, well, like, how to make a home out of it for the animals. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of things, like, like I said, like, a lot of things that I didn't understand. Like, I'm learning as I come here. Like, for example, you know, all the, the birds, well, not now because some of them have been released. Like, because, you know, there's Tommy and Hannah and incredible people out there working really hard. Um... But you know, at first we had all the birds, the chickens and the ducks, in uh, crates and kennels. Yes. And in cages. And like, this is something that would have never occurred to me. Like, but the, the reason why that is, as I learned, was that, well, you can't just let them roam free because otherwise they might get predated. Like, you have no idea what's going to happen to yeah. them. You got to make sure that they have correct enclosures, that they're going to be safe. And, you know, like, like there are all these things that you got to think about. And you got to think about it fast. Because, you know, in the industry, say, like, you have, like, an eggling facility. If hens are in battery cages, they're going to be there their entire lives. And it's, like, literally seen as, like, not a big deal at all. But then for you, it's, like, man, even having an animal in a cage for, like, one hour is a big deal. It's terrible. Like, the, I mean, it's it's very stressful for them. Like, I'm like imagining. I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense. Like, if I was in a cage for like an hour, that would be really stressful. Well, and you're having to depend on, you know, I mean, being fed, being watered, making sure you're not getting too hot, uh, you know. And so then my expectations really fall hard on the caretakers because I'm like saying, look, you know, you got to give them uh, food and water like every hour. You got to check their water. You got to make sure they're not getting too hot. You got to make sure they're getting electrolytes. I mean. So it, it, it's stressful on the animals, it's stressful on the caretakers, it's stressful on me big time because I'm over here going, oh my God, you know, and then when I go over there yesterday, uh, you know, I was so relieved to see that the animals were coming out of the kennels uh, and into, uh, you know, bigger enclosures outside, albeit temporarily because they have to put them back up at night. Mm -hmm. They can't leave them out there until we have permanent enclosures built. Uh, which is what we're working on, you know, uh, on so many fronts is getting permanent enclosures built, roads put in, you know, fences built, you name it. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a stressful situation to uh, have to move these birds all the time. To yeah. not give them, and you can't just let them go, like you said. You can't just say, okay, y'all go ahead and have a good old time out here. No, even with them living here, we had to rotate uh, shifts. I mean, every day a different group of chickens got to go outside because, you know, some chickens fight a lot. And if they fight and end up bleeding uh, and hurting themselves, then that's multiple trips to the vet or they can really hurt themselves. You know, you gotta you got to know who gets along. You know, in in this in this world of chickens, and when you get when you when you have roosters, which we do, uh, I didn't in the beginning. I didn't have roosters for this very reason, because anytime you have roosters, you gotta you gotta negotiate. You know, uh, who's gonna be out when? Not all, because these roosters are ter territorial over their ladies. You know, and some of them, you know, just can't they just can't coexist. Yeah. You know, and uh, and we got some fighters that you know are, are rescues from. You know, cockfighting rings and, and stuff. And, you know, you just... And so, my point in all that is you've got to navigate letting them out with so much caution. Uh, you know, before we even let them out to 
uh, begin to do their free-range thing. You know, we will let them out for a couple hours at a time under observation. They will not just be let out and let's go do what we're going to do. We're going to observe, watch where they go, see if they try to fly off into some area they shouldn't be because this is all new territory for them. You know, so we have to, uh, yeah, a lot of observation before we can yeah. just let them go. But what else is required at the new sanctuary to, like, moving forward? Oh, gosh, what's required? <clears throat> you know, obviously the chicken enclosures. We got to get roads in there. You know, we got to get uh, a roadbed. Uh, you saw how muddy, how Yeah, I mean, we, we, you had, like, multiple trailers get stuck there during the evacuation, which was uh, bad. Yeah, so we got to get, we got to spend about six or $7,000 just on gravel alone just to get a, a temporary roadbed in there. That's not going to be the permanent one for the state-of-the-art sanctuary, but just to be able to operate, you know, for the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to get some sort of roadbed in there, so that's uh, in the equation. Uh, a bulldozer, we got to bulldoze at least uh, 70 acres of the perimeter of the fencing. Uh, that's about seven to ten thousand plus um, thirty-four thousand for new fencing that needs to go up around the seventy acres, so that these cows can be rotated at least in that seventy-acre section. We, you know, we would like to do the whole one hundred forty-seven acres, but that would be, you know, seventy-five grand right now that we need. So we're trying to scale back and do half of it, uh, but we have to because you know the the wild hogs are just rooting up all of the pastures. The cows will have no pasture land, and so it's uh, it's a requirement, you know. But we're not obviously going to kill the hogs. We're just going to trap them and put them on the other side of the fence, so that you know they're going to still live their life where they're going to live it. But we got to make sure that the cows have pasture. Yeah. And so here comes Domino. So that's that. And then we have, uh, you know, we have the goats. Tommy's, um, you know, uh, just bought a couple thousand dollars worth of. Uh, construction supplies so he can give the goats a bigger home and we got to give the pigs a bigger home mm -hmm. you know and so everybody needs bigger homes transportation you know we've got to load up everything that's here at rowdy girl angleton put it in trailers we've already spent you know about three thousand dollars just on transportation costs alone uh transporting the cows transporting equipment transporting 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 uh and so we've got to do that too and if you do, if you guys do care to want to donate and help, then just go to my bio in Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Well, you know, this was a uh, great. I, I really enjoyed this episode, actually. I do too. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to leave people off with? You know, I just, uh, I just want everybody to know how much of an asset you are to Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. How, how Ryuji, you have come in uh, to our space like as if you belonged here all along. And I just can't tell you how grateful I am that you're here. Uh, you know, you know, you just bring so much to our organization, and you've been so uh, such a such a great volunteer in all of it. And we just hope to eventually make you a permanent part of the tribe. Yeah, I mean, I definitely <laughs> thank, thank you so much. And I've really I've really enjoyed being here, and uh, you know, I've learned so much not just about like animals like I kind of talked about but also a lot about you know what I do and like making content and making videos and that kind of thing uh, it's been really incredible and uh, it's, I don't think I can wrap my mind around one, one thing that I'm so excited about documenting all this is that I know that one day when like it all comes together and all happens 
like it's gonna be so just epic that we have all this documented like when it was starting out like I just like yeah. I'm thinking about this like you know like when the Barretts like finished transitioning and they have like this actual operating mushroom farm and we're like yo like we have this interview from like the first time we met them like how incredible like this is oh my god incredible you know so I'm Absolutely. Uh, super excited about that but anyways I do want to do one plug yes and that is uh, for the animal liberation conference coming up oh yeah hundred percent yeah in just a couple of weeks less than a couple of weeks yep. and you know I'm uh, just talking to my husband earlier about it because you know I'm scheduled to be there to speak before the march and to do a workshop on how to speak to cowboys ranchers you know cattle farmers right that's what the workshop's going to be about and uh, you know I just I told Tommy I said somebody's got to be here at this house while I'm gone so between you and Hannah and Sandy and Celeste all four of you got to figure out how to be here so that I can go do these things right uh, you know it's it's important we got to get other people knowing how to talk to these cattle farmers and for sure you know we really do uh, yep. we got to get other people knowing how to do that you know I want to I want to keep passing this along so that you know eventually you know more and more people are, are doing it amazing so uh, one last question which is who who, who are we um, yeah Back in the day, I would think, dude, you know, we're all one. We're all just one glorious. Right. But now guy. it's now it's like we're like we're like we're like the two. We are the two rowdy, rowdiest vegans. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Two Rowdy Vegans. We really appreciate it. Episodes come out every Friday, so look out for that. And y'all, let us know how you feel about these episodes. We'd like to know. Hundred percent. I'm like, we have people listening to these episodes, and I'm like, I'm not sure what you think I want I want your feedback so whether it be on the live stream here whether it be you know send us a message like figure out a way to get us some feedback because like I just I just really I just I don't know we just yeah. we want to know we want to know send us some you, direct messages on you know True Ready Vegans on Instagram or Facebook and uh, yeah apart from that have an incredible rest of your day week and uh, talk to you real soon and remember to keep it rowdy two 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 rowdy vegans two 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 rowdy vegans two 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 rowdy vegans two 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 rowdy vegans, two, two rowdy vegans, one plus one equals two rowdy vegans. <laughs> <laughs>